week number two of preparing for 50 days of transformation. Now, some of you may not have been here last week, but you're here this week, and I want to fill you in because beginning next month, we're all going to be in a small group, and we're all going to be committing our lives to God to transform us in amazing ways in this brand new year called 2019. See, if we keep doing the same things we have been doing in the past, we're going to repeat the past. But if we want something new to take place, we need the power and the help from God, don't we? We need power from the Holy Spirit, and He's promised to do that. We, um, we're going to be talking today about five habits of healthy people. Because we're not, God's not only interested in our spiritual health, He's interested in our physical health. And we're going to be talking about this again once we get into the series itself. I know some of you are thinking, Bruce, is God <clears throat> really concerned and does he really care about my physical health? Well, well look at this passage here from 3 John 2. You tell me what you think. I pray that all is well with you and that your body, that's physical, is as healthy as I know your soul is, that's spiritual. You see the body-soul-spirit connection? God is concerned. Absolutely concerned. He is praying that our bodies are as healthy as our spirits. And how does He know our spirits are healthy? Because we're in Christ. And when you're in Christ, you're perfect. And He wants your butt. See, the goal of this series is to make us like Christ. And that's where we're headed. God wants us healthy. How do I get healthy? By following the owner's manual. Anybody ever buy a new car? If you've not, you not bought a new car, you've never really experienced that new car smell and that brand new owner's manual that you find in the glove compartment. You know what I'm talking about? And when you first get it, man, you're so, I remember my first new car. I think I read that owner's manual backwards and forwards, man. I knew when to change the oil, when to change the filters, when to change us. I was all over that thing. And you know what? It ran so much better when I followed the manual. Well, you know what? My life runs so much better when I follow the owner's manual and do what it says. Uh, look up here on the screen at Proverbs chapter 3. It says, don't depend on the world's wisdom or human wisdom, your own wisdom. Well, I think, you know, this would be good for me or that would be good for me. Or, I read this book, you know, and I read Dr. Phil and I read this guy and that guy. Yeah, that's kind of human wisdom. The owner's manual has the best kind of wisdom. Instead, respect the Lord and refuse to do what's wrong. Then your body will be healthy and your bones will be strong. When will that happen? After the then. What came before the then? Respect. Respect the Lord. Respect what He says is wrong on your outlines there. Did we get the outlines out? I hope we did. It was a full outline today. I gave you every verse we're going to use today. Take that thing out. Uh-oh. Do you only have half a page? I forgot to tell the person who saw this that it's a full outline today. I must have been in Bible class when that was happening. You cannot circle wrong and strong on your outline, can you? Unless you got that half. <laughs> okay, we'll get you a full outline. As a matter of fact, um, every week during this series, if you go outside our secretary's office, I put the full outline there. 
And my apologies to the person I didn't get the information to. But the word wrong and strong really do go together. I respect God by refusing to do and eat wrong things. You might want to write this down somewhere, even on whatever half of the outline you got. I grow strong by refusing what's wrong. That's it. I grow strong by refusing what's wrong. Every time you get a little bit stronger. Have you ever um, maybe been to a neighbor's or a relative and had a full meal and they say, hey, you want seconds? And, and you're full, you're satisfied, it was just a great meal, you weren't even expecting that offer for seconds. And there's a part of you that says, oh, I want it, but I really shouldn't. And you listen to that voice that says, now don't do it, don't do it. And the next morning you felt better because you you were strong, you passed up. Every time that happens, and it doesn't matter whether it was with food or whether it's just going through life, making right decisions and, and avoiding the wrong, God says you get stronger. Now when it comes to food, um, I want to talk about this fellow named Daniel. Have you ever heard of Daniel in the Bible? Well, who was Daniel? Well, to get to his story, you've got to go back several thousand years to the days of the Babylonian kings. Uh, and Nebuchadnezzar had a son named Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was the strongest and most powerful king of the Babylonian empire. And Nebuchadnezzar went to war against Israel. Israel had been messing up. You know, we talk about that cycle. Turn away from God and then... God having to you know, straighten it back out. Sometimes he'll even use a, another king from another nation to straighten his people out. And in this case, he uses Nebuchadnezzar, and he, see, uh, he takes a siege of um, Jerusalem, and he takes all the Jews back to Babylon, where they spend 70 years in captivity. And among that group that went to Babylon was a young man named Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I mean, Abednego. And while there, often what kings would do is they would look out among the subjects that they now have slaves and see who, who is it that maybe has some wisdom or some insight that would be useful to my kingdom. And then he raises them up, trains them in their ways, and then puts them into high positions. And that happened to Daniel. And Daniel and his buddies sit down at the king's table because the king is sort of the mentor and he's got you know, his uh, instructors there. And while eating at the king's table, you eat the king's food. So they ate the king's dainties and they ate the... Ooh, uh-oh, <laughs> can't have that pork there and I can't... Ooh, can't eat that. Remember, they were kosher and they refused to eat. Well, when word got back to the king, the king says, what's wrong with my food? They said, well, King, let me just tell you, there's some stuff here that just isn't healthy. It, you know, we, we cut out junk food, and we don't eat that unkosher stuff. And, 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 and Daniel wisely says, but King, don't be offended. How about if we have a little contest? And how about if, uh, you know, let those guys eat, you know, your food, and we'll eat God's food. And at the end of the contest, you know, you decide. You decide what food you think we should eat. You know, check us all out. Well, look at this next verse. Whew. When the time was up, the end of the contest, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier and stronger than all those who had been eating the royal food. Do you see that? 
So God has a plan for your life and for eating. It's called the Daniel plan. <laughs> you say, where did that come from? Well, at Saddleback, you know, we're doing this series that Rick did a, a few years ago at Saddleback Church where he lost a whole lot of weight and got into shape. And I don't know how many thousands of pounds they lost as a church. And everyone, it's not so much the pounds, it's just about getting healthier and just looking at life and health a little bit different. There were two doctors that attended his church. One's name was Daniel, Daniel Amin. And the other's name was uh, Mark Hyman. And they took the scriptures and they developed what they called the Daniel plan. And uh, put it together. And Saddleback Church is not only healthy spiritually, they're healthy physically, or at least those that took the Daniel plan challenge. And so let's look at five healthy habits. And we'll be kind of using, Daniel did all five of these, by the way. And we'll be talking more about that as we get into the series next week. This is all just preparatory work. I want you to kind of understand where we're headed as a group. Uh, Healthy people eat healthy food. This is called the food factor. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, in verse 13, it's kind of interesting here. Uh, This is from a modern speech. This is from the message version of the Bible. It says, you know the old saying, first you eat to live and then you live to eat. Well, your body is only temporary. But that's no excuse for either stuffing your body with food or indulging it with sexual immorality. Whoa, man, I read that verse this week. I'm going, man, look on the same line what he puts stuffing yourself with alongside. Sexual immorality. He puts it right in that same camp right there. He says, since the Lord honored you with the body, now honor him with your body. Does that make sense? So a little different way of looking at this kind of stuff. Dr. Hyman at Saddleback was talking to the church and he said this, if Jesus came to dinner at your house, what would you feed him? A Big Mac, fries, and a Coke? I hope not. But if God lives within us, then why are you feeding him crap? His words, not mine. But it's what the doctor said. When you you look at it that way, you kind of stop to think, well, if he's really in me, that's what I'm feeding him. A different way of kind of looking at things, doesn't it? Now, we're not talking about a diet here today, but we are talking about a change in the way we look at life. Number two, a second habit of healthy people is healthy people maintain healthy minds. And we call this the focus factor. And you're going to be hearing this Time in and time out, because if we're talking about being transformed, then we've got to transform the way that we think. Because we've gone years being programmed a certain way by the world, and now God's trying to get us to be reprogrammed to the owner's manual the way it was intended to be. Healthy people think healthy thoughts. Because the way you think determines the way you feel, and the way you feel will determine the way that you act. Look at Luke chapter 11 and verse 34. It says, your eyes, and he's not talking about physical eyes here, okay? So think about that for a moment. But he uses the eye as a pretty good uh, metaphor or analogy. The eyes are the lamp of your body. So if your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But when your vision is bad, your body is full of darkness. Again, this is not 
physical eyes, he's talking about what are you focusing on in life? Where is your focus in life? If your focus is good, what's he saying? Well, then your life's going to be good. But if your focus is bad, then your life is going to be bad. And so, Scripture says we get to choose what kind of life we want to have. Is it going to be a a life full of light or a life full of darkness? It is your choice. The proverb writer will say in chapter 4, verse 21, and really this is God saying it because all Scripture is inspired by God. Don't ever forget my words. Again, the owner's manual. Always keep them in mind. Remember, that's focus. We just talked about the eyes. That's focus. Keep the Word of God in mind. Keep your focus on the Word of God. Why? Because they are the key to life. You want to know what the key to life is? It's God's Word. It's focusing on the light. It's focusing on what's good for those who find them. And they bring health to the whole body. Be careful what you think because your thoughts run your life. If you want to know what the key to life is, it's God's Word. And the more time you spend in God's Word, the more time or the more your mind is going to be filled with life and light. Number three, healthy people manage their energy. You ever feel sluggish? You ever feel tired all the time? You're just kind of down and drained and just can't seem to get it together? We call this the fitness factor. Did you know that your energy management is far more important to your success in life than your time management? See, because we all have equal time in a week, 168 hours. Bill Gates or the guy that owns Amazon, all those really, really rich people, Oprah's and the types, they don't have any more time than you and I have. The ground is level, but some people have more energy than you have. That's the difference. Now, there are only two ways that you can create energy. Rest and exercise. That's it. Rest and exercise. The psalmist puts it like this, talking about rest. Psalm 127, verse 2. It is senseless for you to work so hard from early morning until late night. That's called workaholism, by the way. Fearing you will starve. Oh no, I'm, I'm, I'm getting behind. I've got to get work more, work more, work more. For God wants His loved ones to get their proper, what's the last word? Rest. You know, when you're tired and when you're exhausted, sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is take a nap and rest your body. You know, one in seven the Bible talks about. God wants you to get proper rest. And when I say one in seven, what am I talking about? What commandment? Somebody holler it out. Give me your hand. What commandment is that? The fourth commandment. All right. And that was, that was, the fourth commandment says, keep the Sabbath holy. What's the Sabbath? A day of rest. Now, God thought this commandment was so important. Remember, He only gave us ten. And did you know that the Ten Commandments are in descending order? Most 
to the least importance. And the first four are man-God related. The most important, the first four are the most important. And then the next six are man-to-man related. So, the fourth commandment, one, two, three, four, is one in seven, take a day off and rest your body and think about me. God thought this commandment was so important that he modeled it for us. How many days did it take God to create the earth? Six. What did he do on the seventh day? He rested. That, that doesn't mean God goes, wow, man, that you know, world making and universe making is really hard work. I need to take a day off and take a day of rest. No, God could have kept on creating and doing it. God doesn't get tired, okay? He just says, I'm going to take a day off. I'm going to cease my working as an example for man. Because if you work all seven, I'd guarantee it, you're, you're, you're burning the candle at both ends and you're not as bright as you think you are. You're going to have so many irons in the fire, you're going to put out the fire. God says, rest your body. Get your proper rest. That will bring energy. But there's a second way that you get energy. And that is through exercise. Exercise. Paul talks to Timothy and he says this. 1 Timothy 4. Keep yourself in training. What's training mean? Develop habits. You know, when you're in training, you, you, you're on a you know, strict regiment. Timothy, keep yourself in training for godly life. Physical exercise is good for your what? Body. Why? It creates energy. Now, the first week of exercise you will think this verse doesn't know what it's talking about because you will feel lousy and your body will hurt. I'm giving you a testimony. I've been drinking turtle spit for five days this week, every morning, and I've exercised four (laughs) of the last seven (laughs) since last week. And my body hurts. It really does. But you know, next week it won't hurt as much. Why? Because you kind of get over that hurdle. There's just always going to be that. And, and then the week after that, I won't hurt at all. And then the week after that, I'm going to hurt again. You know why? Because you've got to go up another level, don't you? You can't just stay where you are. And then I'll get over that, and then I'll, you know, until you get healthy. Right now, I'm not real healthy, but I kind of want to follow the principles. You know, will I do it perfectly? No, but neither will you. But that's where God's grace comes in. And that's where the small group comes in. Because in your small group, I will encourage you, and you will encourage me. And that's what we do for one another. Keep us going in the right direction. Well, it will help your body if you exercise. Now, but spiritual exercise is valuable in every way because it is not only helps you in the present life, it's the only way to live, and, and the, it's the best way to live, I should say, and it's the only way to die, but it prepares you for the life to come. Now, some people say, oh, well, yeah, you know, we should be reading our Bibles and not exercising. That's not what this verse is saying. This verse is saying you need both. You need both in your life. And so you know how to exercise. You know how to eat properly. But how have you been doing with your spiritual exercise? How has your daily quiet time been going? A daily what, you say? Have you been to 201? Or if you've been to 201, do you need to refresh your course? Because in class 201, what do we teach you? How to prepare some of your own little spiritual meals. So if you end up on some deserted island and all you had was the Word of God, your Bible, you can continue to grow 
because you can continue to create and fix yourself spiritual food. But if, if you haven't opened your Bible from last Sunday to this Sunday, and the only spiritual exercise you're getting is on Sunday morning, that is not enough to maintain health. It just won't cut it. And so, healthy people manage their energy. Number four, healthy people enlist healthy support. This is the friend factor. You need friends in your life. People with friends live longer. They just do. Because friends help you out. That's why you need a small group. As a matter of fact, I'm going to hold up the book you're going to get this year in your small group. And today... If you see my friend Vicky, where's Vicky's hand? Raise it up again, okay. Out there in the Family Life Center at the Guest Services booth, you can get one of these for $10. You're going to need one in your small group. And um, you'll find, I think, probably, what, four sheets of paper out there? With uh, we got we got various growth groups going now, and we're building those as the time goes on, as we're building... Um, you know, some excitement, some enthusiasm. We want everyone to be in a growth group. We've got a growth group, I believe, that meets on Monday night. We've got a growth group that meets on Thursday night. We've got a growth group that meets on Sunday afternoon. And then we've got two Spanish growth groups that meet at various times. I'm not sure of those. But it's all out there. The information's out there. And you say, well, you know, I'm not sure any of these nights work for me. All right, well, here's the challenge to you. Come see me afterwards and I'll make you a growth group leader, and I'll give you a CD, and I'll give you a book, and you read it ahead of time. Because see, in order to be a leader, all you got to do is be a week ahead of everybody else, right? And if you know how to play a DVD, and you can read, and lead a few discussion questions, you can be a leader. And if you want to be transformed this year, and not just be on the plateau, take your spiritual life to another level, I'd like to talk to you about becoming a growth group leader. Stretch yourself. Get some spiritual and physical exercise because you need friends. Ecclesiastes 4.9 says, two are better than one. Why? Because together they can work more efficiently. If one falls down, the other can help him up. But if someone is alone and falls, there is no one to help him. Now, that's not only true of someone falling down. That's true of life. That's true of getting healthy. That's true of eating properly. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25 says, Let us not give up the habit of meeting together. Have some of you? We need to meet together. And when you commit to a small group, I'm going to ask you to commit for the whole 50 days of transformation. I want you to meet all seven weeks with your group. Why? You're going to find encouragement there. Let us meet together. Instead, let us encourage one another all the more. Growth groups are about encouragement. The purpose of your small group is to encourage you. You encourage me. I will encourage you. Friends keep friends motivated. And then when a friend blows it, what do friends do? Do they rub it in or do they rub it out? They rub it out. And they extend grace just like God does. See, real fellowship doesn't take place in here. Real fellowship doesn't even take place out there. Real fellowship takes place when you're in a growth group and it's prayer time and and there you are with your group and someone says, man, I'm really struggling with this area of my life. Because they now know you. They They now have a friend. They now have someone they can trust and they share a need. And the people are sympathetic and encouraging and helping. That's what a real growth group 
is all about. That's where that takes place. Number five, and we'll close with this. Healthy people plug into God's power. Let me say that again, because this is where I want to emphasize the rest of my time. Healthy people plug into God's power. We call this the faith factor. Healthy people depend on God. Amen? You know, so, oh, you're using God as a crutch. Uh, I am. Yeah, I am. <laughs> Who do you use? <laughs> See, I, I don't mind admitting that. God is my helper. And if I want to be healthy, I'm going to need God's power. Luke chapter 17, verse 9 says, this is an interesting passage. Jesus said to the sick man, you know what kind of sickness this man in Luke chapter 17 had? He had leprosy. Leprosy is incurable. You were not only physically sick, you were socially an outcast. You could not be in the community. You could not go to church. You could not fellowship anybody other than another leper. Jesus went about doing good. Jesus went about healing people. Blind could see, lame could walk, deaf could hear. The poor got good news told to them. Jesus was into health. Jesus was into healing. Jesus said to the sick man, Get up and get going. Your faith has restored you to what? Health. The faith factor is oh so important to Daniel and to us today. Physical health was important to Jesus. I hope you understand that. Jesus spent one-third of His ministry. If you read the story of Jesus, one-third of His ministry was spent on healing people and getting people healthy. That's huge. God doesn't just care about you getting to heaven. He cares about all your life here on earth. Do you know the church has been in the healthcare business 2,000 years longer than any government program? Who, who do you think started all the hospitals in the world? Christians did. Who, who, who do you think started the education system? Harvard, you know, all those big colleges that you read about? Oxford, those were preacher colleges. They're in the Bible to go into all the world and teach the gospel to everybody. Well, how are you going to teach? Well, you've got to start with an education program. They started training Christians to become preachers to teach the world. Now, those schools are now secularized, but back in the original day, the hospitals were started by Christians. The orphanages take care of widows and orphans, James will say. And guess what? Chris, well, if we're going to follow Jesus, well, we need to start taking care of widows and orphans. I think it would be interesting to do a whole sermon sometime on what the world would look like and how pathetic it would be without Christians in it starting these good things that we take for granted today. One of them's health. And when you do it God's way, you get three additional benefits. Number one, you get greater motivation. Why? Because you're doing it for the glory of God. You're not doing it so, hey, look at me. Look, I'm, I'm a stud now. Or to impress some person, some girl, some guy, you know, an employer. 
You're doing it for God's glory. Look what Paul will say in 1 Corinthians 10.31. Whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, you must do it all for whose glory? The glory of God. That's a little different way of looking at your health today, isn't it? Hey, I'm doing this for God, for His glory. Look up here on the screen. 1 Corinthians 9.25 talks about a greater reward. A greater reward. When I come down, I usually like the band to go up. Let's do that. I only got two more verses, so I'll give you time to get in place. and I can preach them down here. Hey, that's kind of neat out here. 1 Corinthians 9.25 Athletes train and practice self-control in order to win a reward that will soon fade and be forgotten. How many knows who won the gold medal for boxing three years ago in the heavyweight division? Nobody. Or in figure skating, or in weightlifting, or in hockey, or, you know, no one remembers. It's, it's, it's soon finished. It's forgotten. And, you know, Olympic athletes, they train every day. Eight hours a day for like four years for this one event that they get a gold medal for, and nobody remembers their name 48 hours afterwards, right? Now, watch us. Watch us. But we do it for one that will last how long? Forever. Man, that's great. One more thing, one more verse. There is greater, what was the third one before that? Greater power. Now let's look at this verse. Philippians 2.13 God is now working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. Folks, you're not going to be do this. You're not going to be able to do this on willpower. Your transformation, whatever that means to you, will never happen without the power of God. Amen? You're going to need God's power. And for God's power to show up, you need God. You need God in your life. Willpower won't cut it. But even with God's power, you know what I've found? I still sometimes fall short. How about you? And so that's why this whole series is going to be seasoned with a huge amount of grace. Because God is a God of grace. Our God extends His grace to anyone that needs a second chance. Let's talk to that God right now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for being a God who gives second chances to people like us, who blow it and fall short of Your glory, who have great intentions and we mean well, and sometimes, Lord, we blow it because we, we get prideful and we look to our own power. And, and sometimes, Father, no, we're, we're, we even blow it when we're looking to you for the power, the desire and the power, the will and the power. And Lord, when those times come, it's because of our own human frailty and weaknesses. Read about a guy in the Bible named Peter that said, Lord, I will never do that. And he did it three times. That very night, that guy named Peter needed a second chance. And Lord, we're going to need 
second, third, and fourth, and many more chances in life. And thank you, Father, as we gathered around the communion table today, it reminded us that you're a God of second chances. And you're a God that not only gives, but you forgive. But Lord, really at the bottom of our hearts, we desire that we'll be transformed this year into the image of your Son. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing.